Uh, hello, welcome to the Hippovolt Show, our first one of 2024. This is episode 38. Joined as always by Gil Vidal's. How's it going, Gil? Hey, happy New Year to you, Adam. Hopefully, you had a safe one. Yeah, happy New Year, happy New Year. Yeah, had a had a great one. Uh, got to got to go away for a week. Went uh, on a cruise to uh, the Western Caribbean, Cancun, oh, that area. Yeah, it's really nice. That sounds sounds terrific. Sounds like a wonderful few days off. I'm good. Well, I heard you had a, a breach that you found in the news that might be kind of interesting to review. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, breach reported today, and this is through the HIPAA journal, Stephen Stephen Alder writing, and it's um, PG&A data breach total grows as Kansas City Hospital uh, confirms a 502k record breach. So this is actually a an existing breach. Uh, so North Kansas City Hospital and its subsidiary Meritus Health Corporation have recently announced that they were affected by uh, a massive data breach at Perry, Johnson & Associates, PG&A. Uh, PG&A, a provider of medical transcription services, discovered the cyber attack on July 21st, 2023, initially, and in November reported the breach to HHS um, as affecting 8,952,212 individuals. However, some of its affected clients have chosen to report the breach themselves, and those clients include uh, North Kansas City Hospital, uh, the Missouri hospital said the protected health information of 502,438 individuals compromised between March 27th and May 2nd, 2023, when hackers had access to PG&A systems. At least, so now at least uh, 9.4 million individuals are known to have had their data compromised in the PG&A data breach. Oh. Um, the hospital and Meritas worked with PGNA to determine which individuals have been affected and the types of data involved, and that process was completed on November 7th. Uh, during the analysis, North Kansas City Hospital also identified data belonging to the Clay County Public Health Center. Uh, the types of data involved were limited to demographic information such as name, date of birth, gender, phone number and address, health insurance information and some clinical information. No social security numbers were compromised. Well, I guess that's a good thing. Um, but there's a lot of data there that has been compromised. Uh, you know, there's, there's more on this, but it's, yeah, essentially, originally the breach was seen to affect 8.9 million individuals and recently that number has gone up since um, clients of this uh, BAA have started to self-report. So that's gone up to 9.4 .4 million there, Gil. Um, wow, what are your thoughts on terrible. that? Well, yeah, th this is important to talk about. And, and this is um, a serious situation. But what the, the lawsuit claims negligence. So when there's a data breach, there's going to be a lawsuit. But the question the attorneys look at is, was there negligence? By negligence, they mean, was there proper best practices followed to secure the environment? 
and protect mm-hmm. the data? And if the answer is it's no, they didn't, they weren't even doing what they were supposed to be doing, then it's negligence. And so that means the judge and the, the, the ruling is going to be more serious than the other scenario, which is no, no, this company did a good job. They were securing things properly using all the right tools, but still the hacker was innovative and still got in. But maybe in that case, let's say they didn't take almost 10 million records. Maybe they only get, you know, 1 million records. So it kind of changes the the size. Unfortunately, it's all bad news. I mean, whether they were using best practices or whether they had negligence, either way, it's a very costly, um, very costly to recover from this, both from the reputation point of view and from a monetary point of view. So I just wanted to just quickly give the audience an idea like how do you how do you know what you're going to be paying for you know if something happens so the rule of thumb i've used is $250 per patient record for 2 years so what what do i mean by that well the $250 would be the cost and part of that cost would be to get some kind of a um what do they call that identity tracking service where you can, you can find out if somebody is trying to use your phone number or your driver's license or whatever, they're trying to pretend they're you and social security number, all that stuff. Uh, it's ID protection, I think is what it's called. So if you do that, including those prices, but it's, you have to do it for two years to protect those customers that lost their data or not lost it, but whose data was abused and is out, out on the internet somewhere. So that's $500. And I asked ChatGPT the other day, and it, it came up with the same number. It says take $500 times the number of patient records. So if you have 1 million records that were leaked out times $500, um, that's $500 million. <laughs> it's just insane. No. Yeah, uh, and, yeah and that's a lot. Digging, digging deeper into the article as well, it says um, – PG&A made no mention of whether credit monitoring and identity theft protection services mm. were being offered to the affected yeah. individuals, although yeah. some affected clients have said that those services have been made available. So, yeah, I mean, this is this is part of the cost, right? Yeah. So so the number, not, not to go too crazy on the number, but yeah. so you basically take $500 times the number of patient records. In this case, it was millions. Um just to be clear, I mean, if the volume is that huge, if there's millions and millions of patient records, then this comes down what, a bit. Yeah, the the identity tracking service that normally costs, say, you know, a couple hundred dollars a year, you can get it down to four dollars per patient because the seller of that service are going to say, oh my gosh, they're going to buy a million of these, and they're going to give you a really low price. You can buy basically wholesale. But anyway, it's a ton of money, and of course, that's going to hurt the hospital. They they probably going to lose their insurance or have to tap into their insurance in a big way to help cover all those costs. Yeah, yeah. I think there's very- online tools as well. If if the listeners are interested, they can just go to Google and say like search for something like um, mm-hmm. breach cost calculator or something along those lines, and there's a bunch of free tools that'll show like yeah what the cost it, would be but i think that that's that's a good uh, benchmark mm-hmm. uh, the, the 500 yeah it, it's something that so the question is well that that's great you know to calculate how much the damage is but really the, the more important thing is how could they have prevented this now in this yeah. case yeah in this case we don't have we don't have the de- we're not given the details of like technically speaking all it says is negligence and the staff wasn't trained properly 
And it said one more thing. And oh, yeah, it said they were following the cybersecurity best practices. And number two, their staff wasn't trained. So let's, yeah. let's, let's say unpack allegedly, that. allegedly, just in case. <laughs> yeah, allegedly. So let's unpack that a little bit. So let's say that the, re the way this breach happened, which is, which is becoming more and more common, is that somebody in the organization opened an email and clicked on a link that was contained in the email, and they go to some site, and then that site infects their, their Windows system, and then from that Windows system, it now infects the whole organization because it is kind of like a virus can infect and spread. And so lack of training, what they mean by that is that, well, you have you know 3,000 employees, and one of your 3,000 employees clicked on this link. They should have known better. And they they started asking for for training logs. They said, "Well, show me all your training logs. Like, who, when was Betty Sue and Joe Smith last trained? And you better be in the record somewhere. Oh, they were trained, you know, last month or two months ago. And so, if they don't have any training records, they say, "Well, we don't have any records of when these people were trained, or if they ever were trained." Then they consider that negligence. Like, oh, you weren't training your staff. Um, but to me, this is a very precarious situation because even if you trained everybody perfectly think about it you have 3,000 people or even 300 people that work for you what are the chances that somebody I mean we're, we're curious as human beings people are so curious if they get an email and they're supposed to do something they look at it they just click and that's all it takes so it's very difficult to just say well training in and of itself would have thwarted that kind of attack I don't think that's really very practical so how do you protect from these things? And why are these happening? I mean, I question, I, I look at this and I say, my goodness, every time we open the news, there is a multi-million dollar, multi-million record leak or unauthorized access. And it's like, how come, how come we can't stop these bad boys? You know, it looks like it's a rampage and this thing is just getting worse and worse and worse. But all, all I can tell is from a high level, from a high level, anyone that reads these things can see that we're in trouble, right? We don't have the tools available today to stop these things. And even if we do have a lot of the tools, they're not being used. Like you can't, some of these guys, these IT directors, they don't even know about these tools or if they do, they're too expensive. And it's just really not a good model. We are, the model itself is broken. We don't have a good model for protection, I don't think. Yeah. And just on that point as well, if there, this article is great as well. There's a, there's a chart of the, the total number of records exposed annually. And it looks like, and this was, you know, this is as of towards the end of 2023, but it was getting close to the worst year on record. It looks like there was in 2015, I think it was a uh, blue clock blue, uh, anthem uh, had a really big hack. And that was kind of an, an outlier in terms of the number of records for that year. But 2023 is, I'm pretty confident that it, it, it mm -hmm. passed that threshold. So it, it's, it's getting worse mm -hmm. by the year. Yeah. And I, I just want to make a general comment because of course what we're contributing in this podcast isn't necessarily, Oh, just go to this XYZ vendor and buy this magic software and all your problems are solved. It doesn't really work that way. But one thing I can tell the audience that I think would be a big benefit is that if you're in the business side of things, you're a business manager, business owner, business leader, and you've hired a department, a cybersecurity department, and they, they're supposed to, that's their job to do that. But the problem with that mentality is that if you assign it to them, you hire these experts, you have a VP of cybersecurity and all that, 
yeah, they're supposed to be experts. I get it. But you've hired them. You're still everything is a responsible of the C-suite, the executive suite, and they've hired this team. So I think it's a strategic mistake, Adam, that the the C-suite team that goes and hires a VP of cybersecurity and then they have a budget of a million dollars a month or whatever, then they just cross their fingers and they just hope, well, I hope I have a good team. I hope they're doing a good job. I don't think that's a good strategy. I think instead what should happen is the C-suite people that may not be technical, they should be interfacing with that team and say, let me see the reports. I want to see when's the last time that just randomly, just imagine this, just randomly pick one of your employees. doesn't matter who. You say, okay, just show me the record of when Sue Beth was last trained. And they're like, uh, you know, they're scrambling. Oh, I can't find it. Well, then you've just, as a manager, you've done an excellent thing. You're like, well, guys, we got a problem here. We're supposed to train everybody and have a record. Where? Why don't we have a record for this person? So there you go. Now, now all of a sudden, you've done something and you've rattled their cages and they've got to get on it. And then you can do the same thing yourself. Think about it as a, as a savvy business manager. You might say, hey, let me use this phishing training software that you turn on stealthily and you send an email to 50 of your staff members and you see how many click on that link that they shouldn't click on. Now, nothing bad happens because it's just simulation. And then lo and behold, two or three of them click on it. And you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe it. Right. And so now you tell your, your VP of cybersecurity, hey, these people, you know, I don't want to sound overly harsh, but there are cases where people are so curious they can't keep themselves from clicking these links. And they always yeah. will, no matter how much you train them. You know, you as a manager have to make a decision, you know. Joe here, we've trained him and trained him. And every time we send a phishing test, he always clicks on it. Well, maybe he shouldn't be working there. I mean, I'm sorry, yeah. but you know, what, what do you do? You have to start making some decisions. Mm -hmm. So anyway, my point is that management can stay very involved in testing their team that they've hired, the VP and all the millions of dollars they're spending on these tools. I don't think they should just consider it a black box. Say, well, I'm not technical. I don't know what they're doing. It's like, no, no, you don't have to be technical to get involved as a manager and start asking for proof that they're doing a good job and that they're doing what they, what they need to do. And I, I think management is so busy with their own world, their own problem that they can't imagine getting interfacing with the technical department, an area that they quote unquote have no expertise in. So they just sort of cross their fingers and hope that that team is great. And obviously, obviously, from the record, from the number of breaches that are happening at large companies, we know they're not doing a great job. We know that there's big holes there. Yeah, and I think, you know, with this with this breach in particular, obviously, it's one thing that the the healthcare organization itself is doing everything they can to make sure that they internally um, are monitoring and, and making sure they're actively identifying potential threats. Uh, but then in this case, it was a, it was a business associate, right? So it's this, uh, mm. this transcription company it, that's taking audio files, transcribing them on behalf of its clients, um, that got, that got accessed. And I know we've talked in the past about making sure that you always have a, a business associate agreement in place. And that's going to, in this case, probably a fair amount of the of the fault is going to lie with the business associate. However, I'm seeing from the article that lawsuits are also going towards the the actual clients because presumably there'll be some some inquiry into how much uh, detail was 
gone into when recruiting mm -hmm. or selecting the vendor. So on that point, other than just do you have a BAA, what uh, what advice would you give to any healthcare company looking to bring on a new vendor for a particular service uh, making you know, that is going to handle PHI and patient information? Yeah. To me, that's a can of worms. So those vendors, each vendor that you hire, and, and believe me, in the U.S., and, and I guess the world at large, we rely on our relationships. We have vendors to take care of certain aspects, and those vendors are important. And the, the question is, well, how do you know if the vendor themselves are minding, the, are minding their own shop properly and crossing their T's and dotting their I's and doing things the way they should be doing them? I mean, you're, you're just struggling with your own team, let alone now you got 10 vendors. Like, oh, oh my gosh, how are you going to keep all 10 vendors in line? Um and that, that's a real serious concern. I think that this transcription company, they, they were obviously transcribing and then they have these audio files and they're probably re-uploading them somewhere. So that's a very technical thing. Um, a, lot, a lot of these scenarios with these vendors, you can mitigate some of the issues by what's called isolation. So Google uses a zero trust uh, paradigm or zero trust security model where they kind of assume that bad things are going to happen. That's that's the beautiful part about zero trust. They just assume that bad things are going to happen, viruses are going to happen, people are going to hack in. But the zero trust, what it does is it starts to isolate and segment certain things. So if somebody gets into the organization, they isolate it to just one little piece of it. It doesn't get everywhere. And I think that mindset in dealing with vendors is probably important. So as an example, with these audio files, when they uploaded it, probably should have been uploaded to a secure area that didn't have any privilege anywhere else, just that one area. And then you run a scan, a virus scan, and maybe a malware scan, and maybe something else, maybe a third or fourth option that you really, really cleanse and data scrub and make sure it's good. And then only after that, then you release those audio files to other departments that it needs to go to. But by isolating it, in this specific example with PJNA, they may have isolated it and may not have been in this situation had they had they had that zero trust isolation mentality, they may have avoided it. So I think I think that's a good paradigm to follow, that good model. Yeah, absolutely. And and do do check out um hippajournal.com. They they write some really great articles and Stephen Arthur's been doing great work as editor in chief there for a while. So shout out to uh, Steve there. Um, okay, Gil. Uh, was was there anything else that you wanted to? Uh, touch no, on? I, I I think we covered the, this one pretty well, and I, I'm glad that we had a chance to to discuss it because we do need to figure out what what we can do as an industry to prevent these things because it's just happening too often. And, and guess what? The effect of this too, the insurance companies are raising the insurance premiums at an alarming rate. By that I mean they're not going up to ten percent, twenty percent. No, they're going up four or five hundred percent. Imagine your bill was eight thousand last year for cyber insurance, and this year they go, oh, it's going to be twenty-four thousand. And you're like, wait a minute, how could that be? Well, they have to do that because they are losing so much money trying to cover these breaches that they have. They are in a position now to say, well, we have to raise the premiums dramatically. Yeah. So we're all we're all kind of paying for this, right? These breaches are causing us a lot of pain and it's affecting our pocketbook even if you didn't have a breach right we're all paying for it 
seems like an area very much open to disruption. It'll be exciting to see what happens with it in, in this, yeah. this year. Right. Right. I hope so. Well, great talking with you, Adam, and uh, love to catch up with you again later on. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks as always. Well, that's it for this episode of the HippoVault Show. Um, please do like and subscribe. It, it really helps. It makes a difference. Um, if you would like to ask us any questions, feel free to reach out to us at podcast.hippovault.com or just visit hippovault.com and, uh, and reach out to us there. Um, and that's it for this episode. Uh, stay compliant and informed, and we'll see you next time.